nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is the Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Welcome to Swansea Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. Tonight, we are talking modern foreign languages. We're joined by Helen Myers and Annalise Paris. And we're going to be asking if there's been a drop-off in interest for language learning, what are the benefits of studying language, and what does good language teaching look like? So, tune in, talk it out, let's go. Live from Swansea, this is the Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Boradar Pab. Welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Nathan Ginn. And tonight, uh, well, I introduced the show broadly in another language as best I could, but we are talking about modern foreign languages. Now, we're hoping to be joined uh, by a couple of guests as well. So if you are listening to us in the studio and you are on that phone, you can just click that call in button and we'll put you straight through to the studio. Oh, and I think we've got one of our callers coming through now, so we'll just connect them. Uh, let's have a little look there. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hello. Hello, and I can hear you. Um, just a little bit closer to my call, a little bit louder if you possibly can. Okay, yeah, no problem. That's perfect, yep, yeah, loud and clear. Um, so I was just doing my introduction, I was talking about uh, modern foreign languages. I've got rustly notes with me uh, for people because there are some facts that I want to share during this thing. But, but before we get started, and you know, while we get started as well, um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself um, and, and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, of course. So my name is Annalise Paris. Um, I'm a primary school teacher in the southwest of England. Um, this is my third academic year now, um, and. I, I started my role, which is probably one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about MFL as a PPA French teacher um, in a local school. And I was teaching uh, reception children all the way to your six pupils, which I know is quite rare already. So it gave me a really nice standpoint um, to see how schools are kind of treating MFL, um, you know, what priority it's giving it. And ever since then, it's been a real passion of mine. So um, obviously now I'm in a different school. I teach um, Spanish instead. Um, but yes, and alongside primary teaching, um, I also create um, additional content to support teachers and trainee teachers on both Instagram and YouTube. So um, yes, that's a little bit about me and it's lovely to be here. Fantastic. Now, I'm going to be really interested to pick out some of that, that primary level stuff. And particularly when you're talking about, you know, into the early years in, in Key Stage 1, because I think people forget, maybe don't think about it there. I'm just going to throw over to our Definitely. other guest that should be Helen. Helen, are you with us? I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, we are. And just a, a little bit louder as well, if you can, as we go through. So, Helen, uh, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. And why don't we do the same for you as well? Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and, and tell us just, a, a, you know, a little bit about what you do? 
Okay, well, my name's Helen Myers, and um, primarily at the moment, I'm a volunteer for the Association for Language Learning, which I hope that all language teachers will join if they're not already members. We're an independent um, voice for languages. Um, I've been teaching for a very, very long time, um, but most recently in a language college, which is the Ashcombe School in Dorking. Um, I've recently retired from there, um, and now that's why I'm doing full-time voluntary work for people um, and that really has given me an opportunity to be very very involved in languages both through my teaching where I've been teaching 11 to 18 and actually loved getting in touch with primary so Annalise it's lovely to hear you and um, I think it's great when people do find out from each other what what's going on in the different sectors um, and I've been teaching GCSE and A-level. Fantastic. And so I think, you know, in my head, sort of chronologically, if we start off, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what, what's currently going on in schools or what we think is currently going on, you know, in schools or even from our own uh, context. So um, if we start with Annalise, um, you know, in that in primary schools or your experience of primary schools, what sort of, um, you know, what, what's, what language learning is sort of currently going on, do you think? So I think it's quite difficult to generalise primary MFL learning um, and teaching because already just in terms of the languages that are offered, they can vary tremendously from, um, you know, schools offering French or Spanish or even some offering German. Um, and then I think this was a while ago, though, so I don't know if it's still happening, but I heard of some um, schools in London teaching different uh, languages like Chinese that aren't widely available across England or the rest of the UK. Um, so in terms of my experience, I don't find that it's often taught in Key Stage 1. Um, the national curriculum dictates that it only has to be taught um, compulsory as of Key Stage 2. And I think sometimes, you know, schools think, great, that's one less subject to think about in Key Stage 1, um, which I think is kind of disappointing because when they're young, it's not very... Um, academically worded on my behalf, but they just kind of soak up information like a sponge. Um, and I found that there were some phrases that my reception pupils could remember better than the year sixes. Um, so although I don't think it's common practice, I would love to see more, um, you know, languages being taught at a younger age, so that they can kind of have seven years of education. And that way, if it only is, if it is only half an hour of teaching every single week, they still have seven years of it consistently. Um, but yeah, in my, my experience has been very varied um, in terms of the languages that um, they are teaching, in terms of what schemes are being used, um, even in terms of the staff members that are teaching it. Um, I've seen some that just think, great, okay, I'm not confident in languages, I'm going to leave this to the PPA teacher. Um, but not all schools also have specialised teachers like I was. So um, I've seen schools being taught um, by HLTAs, um, some being taught by unqualified teachers from an agency, some being taught by the, um, the class teacher or, you know, one teacher in a year group and then the children kind of rotating round. So it's really difficult to answer that question in terms of what language learning looks like currently in schools because I don't think there is one set uniform answer really. 
you know I, it's hearing you talk about it and I reflect on my own practice when I was a primary school teacher as well and and yet yeah, you're right I, I I remember a lot of people I don't want to say palming it off but certainly shying away from it maybe and, and giving yeah. it to a PPA teacher or giving it to a peripatetic teacher who was coming in sort of saying actually because it's probably worth some of our secondary colleagues if they're listening in reflecting that primary teachers have to do a little bit of everything and and mm. and so I imagine the, the the training and the skill and the support for teaching another language must be you know quite difficult in some schools yeah and um especially in my teacher training journey um so I was school direct I was four days a week in a school and they loved the fact that I could teach French and they just went okay that is going to be your subject and I didn't receive any guidance. I was almost giving out the guidance to the trainee teacher. And um, the training provider only gave us one day of MFL training. Yeah. Um, and that was, I think, maybe from a secondary school teacher. I don't even think it was an expert. Um, so, you know, it, it's not surprising that teachers suddenly go in, they have their new class, all these things to think about. And then I think, ah, oh, and I need to kind of learn a new language before my pupils to teach it to them. Um, so yeah, I think if there was maybe more training or support before we entered, especially as primary schools, into that classroom, then maybe the the whole progression of, of teaching languages in schools would be one of more confidence and more um, emphasis and importance. Um, fantastic. Now, if we move to sort of, a, you know, potentially more second and older perspective with, with Helen, Helen, what's your perspective on what's currently going on in schools with uh, modern foreign language learning? Um, well, first of all, the way that you've described it in primary, Annalise, is very much how it's been, I have to say, for about the last 40 years. It's, you know, we always do have those issues. Um, but it's just great that people are still, um, you know, keeping on with it, keeping on teaching. Um, if you look at the Languages Trends report that's come out, everything you mentioned there is reflected in how people are feeling. So I think that's somewhere where, certainly as the Association for Language Learning, we're very interested in listening to what people have to say and think, well, what can we do about it? Um, but, you know, just keep keep on, keep on doing it. Um, there are lots of resources out there to help you. So, um, but from a, from a, secondary point of view um, we have um, as you've mentioned for the key stage two it's statutory it's statutory for key stage three as well so everybody should be doing languages in years seven eight and nine um, the reality is that there are some people who talk about having a three-year key stage four which actually means that there are some students who only get year seven and eight for languages which I think is very very sad um, but who knows, things might change on there because I think Ofsted is quite keen to just check up on that to make sure that people are getting this broad and balanced curriculum, which they're meant to be getting at key stage three. Um, so everybody should be doing languages then. And then when it comes to key stage four, it's optional. You don't have to do languages. That's been in place since 2004. Um, Personally, I loved it when it came in as being compulsory back in the 90s or late 80s, um, along with the national curriculum. But anyway, it's now optional. Um, and it's, it, went, it went down quite a, a long way, not, many, not so many people doing it. Something which has changed that a little bit is that um, there are now measures for judging schools which include whether or not they do languages. So there's an EBAC that's to say whether or not 
students are doing the English, Math, Science, a Humanity and a Language. Um, so that's something which some schools really, that has incentivised them to say, right, we really must get some more people, you know, sure that more people are doing languages. And to be honest, how does um, a school do, do that? They make sure that on their option choices, it becomes compulsory, if not for everybody, at least for, and in a lot of cases, you'll get schools who for the higher ability students will almost force them to do a language. So now you've got about 50% who are doing languages, which is up from where, where it was beforehand. Yeah, and I, um, I wonder, is it, is it still the, the sort of same languages that I would recognise from my time in secondary school? I, in it, you're weird, and I'm sure, you know, maybe I've glossed over this or I've remembered it wrong, but I studied French at um, uh, Key Stage 3, and then because I was good at French, I, I was kind of railroaded into choosing German for, for Key Stage 4 in a GCSE, but it was very much, those were the options. I think there was some Latin going on, you know, in another part of the school that I wasn't able to access, but it was very much French and German. Is Are we still dominated by those languages? No, that isn't the case any longer. Um, it, Spanish really has um, increased in its popularity and the numbers who are doing Spanish. Um, and it's a source of, you know, obviously people who are Hispanists love the fact that Spanish is becoming so popular, but I think it's also very sad that the numbers doing German are going down. Um, and that's at both GCSE and A-level. So that's something that actually the, the government has realised that there's a problem there. And we were delighted when we saw a headline last week from Nick Gibb saying that we do need to be learning German. And the government is putting in um, funding at the moment there. Um, they've launched a, um, something to say to people, you know, if, if, if you're going to be prepared to put together a package to improve uh, the take up of German, um, now you can put in a bid and then they'll decide who's going to take that up. So, so no, it really has now gone much more towards um, Spanish. And in fact, at A-level, there are now more people doing Spanish A-level than, than French A-level. I find it really interesting, these kind of shifts and, you know, the, the, the kind of social impacts of it. I remember specifically when I was going through the choices and, and this maybe shows, you know, when I was at school or not, but they said, uh, I remember being told you should do German because it's the business language of the future. And that's what people felt at the time that, you know, doing um, German was. But are, are we possibly starting to see some other languages coming in sort of broader than European as well, maybe more Chinese or, or Arabic? Yes, exactly. Um, in fact, when language colleges were brought in, which was, you know, a long time ago, late 90s, um, one of the things you had to do if you wanted to get language college status, which um, attracted extra funds um, as, a, as well as a, a status. Um, one of the uh, stipulations was that you should teach something which was not one of the European languages. So I teach in a school where we, we brought in Chinese. It wasn't necessarily Mandarin Chinese. It wasn't necessarily that easy to find teachers <laughs> or resources, but increasingly there have been more available. And in fact, that again is something which the government is keen to promote. So there is an excellence program on at the moment um, in teaching Mandarin. So as you were saying, Annalise, but there are schools now which are specifically choosing to teach Mandarin Chinese. In fact, the other day I was in a school, which is a private school, an independent school, where they no longer do German, but they do do Chinese, um, Mandarin. 
You know, I find that really interesting. And, uh, you know, I wonder, reflecting back, I I think my French and my German gave me a really sound kind of basis. I probably should say for context to anyone listening that, you know, I live in Wales and we are a bilingual country. And um, so when I trained to be a teacher here in primary school, we were giving out instructions in both uh, Welsh and English. Um, you know, through teacher training. So I had to learn another language to be a teacher in Wales, or at least partly learn it. Um, And so that does give a different context, particularly when we talk about sort of how we get languages into young people, I should say. I'm trying to, you know, how we teach them, how we get them used to it. Now, I want to throw back to Annalise just just for a second here, um, because one of the questions I'm really interested in as well about where we're currently at now you said in, in your current school you're teaching um, Spanish. Was it Spanish was the chosen language? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, but the school before was French. Yes, correct. Yep. Okay. So, do you know how they went about choosing which language, and whether that ties in with sort of this, what what the secondary school is teaching? So, in terms of um, the French school, I am not sure. Um, in terms of the Spanish, there was a HLTA who spoke Spanish. That is essentially it. Um, So they nominated her to do it. But what happened was when she went on long term sickness, suddenly the whole of the Spanish, you know, the the whole of the Spanish curriculum went out the window. Spanish was not taught for over six months um, just because one member of staff left. There was such a reliance um, on this member of staff and she didn't return in September. So instead they thought, right, we're going to stay consistent with the Spanish, but we're going to now rely on a scheme. And I think this is one of the big obstacles um, that schools face with teaching a language is that lack of confidence in, you know, their ability to teach it. If you don't know a language, you don't feel like you can give it your all or you might make, um, you know, a mispronunciation somewhere. Or in French, you might do that classic, you know, cheveux and you might accidentally say cheveux or the other way around. and I, so as a bit of background to me as well, um, I did GCSE French, German, Dutch, Spanish, and A-level French and German. Um, and so I was very into languages. I was known as the language girl at school, um, which I don't think many people know. But as a result, I was kind of fluent in French in year six. And my primary school teacher would keep me in at playtimes just to run through how to say words. Um, she'd be like, could you just tell me how to say this again? Oh, and this one. And is this how I say this? Nope. Okay. Uh, okay. Thank you. Right. And then in the lesson, she'd look at me and be like, is that right? Um, and I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, if you have multiple teachers, um, even if we just stick to key stage two, that don't feel confident in teaching something, then that can kind of halt the progress of the pupils, as well as the progression of the language across the, the school life. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know how the first school decided on French. Maybe it's because they hired an agency and that was a language that they offered. Um, but yeah, I really don't know. And it's it's a very interesting question actually. Okay, I'm just going to pin and you know you can tell me to, to to go away if you feel this is 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 too personal <laughs> a question. But when you were learning the languages yourself, as you know, as a language learner. What, what was it that drew you to, to learning languages? So, I mean, it helps that my dad is French and my mum is from Belgium. Yeah. So that's that's one thing that instantly helps. And then I think because of that, because I've always had that exposure to 
different countries, different cultures. Um, I think I was just interested in getting to learn more. Um, so I went into German and obviously I have some background, but very limited in Dutch. Um, and so I could draw comparisons or I would think, okay, well, this is how I say it in English. This is how I say the word in French. This is how I say the word in Dutch and German. And it would almost be like a flow chart. And, you know, there's lots of research that, that goes into the, the cognitive benefits of learning a language, but maybe it was just for me. But the more languages I learned, the quicker I got at it because the more I could just pick up things and go, oh, here's a nice link with this language. And, you know, maybe it was <laughs> brain things going on or, or it's just I have a natural knack. I'm not sure. But I know that it was supported very much by my mum and not necessarily schools. Um, when I got into secondary school, obviously, I was placed in the same class as the rest of the year seven pupils um, who didn't have the same um, education languages across their primary schools. So the, the secondary school teacher had to kind of start from zero and see what people knew. Um, and when she found out that I could speak French, she just put a GCSE textbook in front of me and said, start from page one. Um, and that was essentially it. So I think even in terms of that adaptive teaching there, I didn't necessarily grow because of the support of a teacher and actually come a a level I was actually probably behind my peers because for so long they had just relied on putting worksheets in front of me or write an essay on this or write sentences based on this picture that I didn't have that scaffolding and that support to grow as the others did so I, I do sympathize a lot with secondary school teachers because I don't know how they decide where to pitch their lessons when primary school teachers uh, primary schools differ so much in their um, you know, their teaching of, of languages. Yeah, and it must be, you know, I, you know, when I think and I ask that question about the the sort of which languages schools have chosen, that if, if schools are doing well uh, with their modern foreign language teaching in, in primary, but they have chosen uh, Spanish and the secondary school starts off year seven in, in, in French, I wonder how much, and so I, I, I'll throw to, to Helen on this one, does chopping and changing between languages matter does it hurt is you know or is there a benefit to that um well this is a debate that has been going on for ages and ages as to to what extent can we ensure continuity from primary to secondary and i really understand the frustration sometimes that primary school teachers can have when they get their students up to a you know very pretty good level and then as you say they go to a school where they're doing another language but you know I would say thank you to you for saying you know you sympathize with us and people can understand that you know in the end to be honest you just have to take a pragmatic approach because if you have for example a school with 27 feeder schools I'm afraid you really can't guarantee that progression so going to your question which I think is a really good question um, as to you know whether or not actually it's a good thing or a bad thing I have to say that I don't think it's a bad thing because as you were saying Annalise, actually learning one language can really help for learning another language. The situation we've got in this country is that we don't know which language we're going to need. We're in a very different situation, aren't we, from um, schools in France, in Germany and Italy, where to be honest, the natural thing is English. So we can't necessarily compare ourselves with them. With them, it's a, it's a no-brainer, really, that you do English. For us, we don't know. So actually, I think it can help an awful lot to have 
had a little bit of different languages and to do that at primary personally i think that's a good time to do it um there are people who don't agree with that and one thing that we have got to face is the fact that Ofsted obviously comes in to judge schools. Um, their wording is that they do want to see progress in one language. But it's something that, to be honest, um, I think that we have to be ready to defend ourselves to say, you've just got to look at the practicalities of this as to whether or not it's possible. Um, and I, I wanted to ask another question to you, Helen, really, uh, uh, this one's directed to, which is about that kind of end goal for languages. You know, we've talked about sort of where they're starting. And, I, you know, I understand in the primary school, you know, we, we, we can probably start on some words, some recognition of those things. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed learning a bit of Italian from, uh, you know, I had an Italian girl in my class uh, once um, and, and she was teaching me bits and I was learning alongside her as she as she gained confidence in her English. And I really enjoyed it. And I felt that, as you say, that that fed into my understanding of other languages. But I never continued on with Italian. I, you know, I, I, it just hasn't been something. Is the end goal of learning a language to become fluent or... or is it good enough that if we get to the end of key stage three, say, and, and they've got a working understanding or, or are we aiming for, you know, you can speak it and you can live there? Well, I think this is where sometimes we have a problem in that people believe that they should become fluent. And that's where people can get disappointed that when they're doing language, suddenly they're faced with a real live Italian person or French person and they can't necessarily understand everything they say. So I do think that that's a disadvantage compared with other subjects where, frankly, they don't know what they don't know. If you're doing physics, then a physics teacher is to present you with something which is university-level physics, whereas in languages there is this danger that people can feel quite depressed that they can't manage it. So I think that is up to us to make it clear that actually, no, we're not expecting fluency. We are going to have to be open about what we can expect. Um, and I think the example you give there is fantastic that you say, well, at the very least, you can be interested in somebody who's speaking another language, language. You can work out perhaps a little bit about what they're saying. You can communicate enough to be able to show that you want to be friendly with them, um, that you want to learn more about their language. Um, and certainly the fact that you can often, I think, get to a much higher level, if you like, a passive language, reading, for example, in particular, I find that people can often pick up uh, a paper, a magazine, and they can work with time. They can work out what it's about in a way that to ask someone to speak it or to write it, to say what they really want to say as a 14-year-old can be a bit, bit more demanding. So um, I would say that if you look at the aims from the national curriculum, they definitely are not saying we're expecting you to be fluent. Um, but it tends to be what the learner might expect. Therefore, as teachers, we must really, I think, really give them praise for the fact that they can work out meanings they can deduce yeah and i mean yeah i think that you know that must pay off uh, i guess when you know mathematical understanding or logical reasoning in some way linguistic reasoning or even you know when, when i started to find out the thing for me was place names and i am a geographer at, at heart you know i'm a geography teacher um but finding out how to work out place names and what they meant and the meaning behind them and the fact that that had meaning, I, I absolutely loved. And then obviously living in Wales, when I translate the Welsh names into um, English um, and, and, and find out that actually it 
you know, it means something. It might mean head of the valley or it might mean mouth of the river. And I go, hang on, this all, like, there's an extra level of of meaning and understanding of the world that I never saw before. And I have to say, I do love that about life that there's these hidden depths and the links between them as well you know i i find that really uh really enjoyable um but as you say like i'm, I'm probably not going to get to 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 fluency speaking living in it not not now i don't have time to go and elope unfortunately um but yeah <laughs> there we go um but now I, we're gonna say, sorry go on actually, well the way that you were talking about it then i think that is really really good teaching to model an absolute enthusiasm and interest in language per se. So yes, we can always talk about in the end, who knows, you might become fluent, you might be able to do this, that and the other, but actually to take an interest in the language. And I find, well, what you were talking about then, that often is a real way of, of really bringing in everybody, whatever ability to be able to talk about language and where things come from. Um, just as you were speaking there, I thought, I know that that's something that hooks children in to say, oh, and did you know that this meant this? Or So, yeah. It is. I would say, you know, if you want to learn Old English and Norse, if, you know, I know we're talking modern foreign languages. If you want to be a geographer, those are your languages because all of the place names, it tells you so much about, you know, where that place is, what that place is and who was there once. I always tell the story about Swansea has uh, nothing to do with the fact that it's by the sea or swans for that matter, but it was actually Swain's eye and Swain was a Viking hero. And so we know the Vikings were here because the place is named after a Viking hero. And that's all language. And yeah, as I say, I'm dragging into geography now. I apologise to both of you. No, now, because that is the good thing. That's what we love as language teachers, that in fact, languages can be anything. And that's why certainly for A-level, you try to encourage people to you know, take A-level because you'll be doing sociology, you'll be doing geography, you'll be doing history. All of these subjects you can do in the language, through the language. So they, you know, they're... I think we've got to get away from this idea that these are little silos. It, everything mixes together. And perhaps we need a campaign for bringing back Old Norse then. Oh, pot potentially. <laughs> we might struggle on that one uh, for curriculum time, unfortunately. But as I say, it will help out with your geography. Um, now, um, you have given me a perfect segue there. We'll go for a quick ad break. But when we come back, I'm going to ask both of you these two questions. And we'll look at it from two different perspectives. And one is, why should we teach languages? Why should schools be interested in teaching them? And the other one is, why should the students be interested in learning them? So we'll see uh, hear from both of you just after this quick ad break. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. 
live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Boridar Palb, Chris Zoe Abertawi. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show here with me, Nathan Ginn on Teachers Radio. And you've joined us. Uh, now we're talking about modern foreign languages. Um, if you missed the start of the show, we just did a brief rundown of where we think it is. We're joined by Helen Myers, Annalise Paris. We've talked a bit about the primary sector and, and where we are with that. We talked a little bit about the secondary sector as well and, and a brief overview of uh, you know where we currently are are in the UK with teaching and learning of modern foreign languages. Uh, now, I said before we went to that quick ad break that I was going to ask two questions. And those two questions really are why should schools want to teach languages? Or why as a society we should want to teach languages to our young people? And then why should uh, students want to engage with that? Why should they want to learn? Now, I'm just going to start off with a brief quote. Um, and, and this is from an all parliamentary uh, group on modern languages. It was a press release from uh, 2019. And the MPs and peers in urgent call for a national, covery, uh, a national recovery program to revolutionise language skills in the UK. Um, Britain's dwindling language skills are a disaster for the country and must be recovered through concerted action led by the government and supported by us all, uh, a group of MPs and peers wants today. Now, one of the things they quote is they say that the UK loses 3.5% of GDP in lost business opportunities due to our poor language skills. Um, now, that seems like a shock and that, you know, I can see why the government would be pushing it. But um, let's uh, check in with Annalise first. Are you still with us? Yes, I am. Yep. So you're still there. That's OK. Don't worry. I, I panicked for a second then. That, <laughs> the, 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 everyone might have just switched off. Um, but why do you think primary schools should be invested or as a school in, in in training in the time it takes in the delivery the curriculum time of delivering languages to young people so i actually think this is a really um interesting question and i wish teachers educators trusts would do a little more research into the benefits of languages um because there were just so many i mean we mentioned some about um you know, being able to open up future uh, career prospects or the ability to go and live abroad if they want to. But there are also loads, loads of um, social and emotional benefits. Um, so, you know, we, we're all about inclusion. But then if somebody from abroad comes and they talk about their culture, if we show no desire to learn about it, then it's almost like saying they don't matter. And I think in learning about different cultures, different languages, we naturally become more accepting because you know, our minds are opened up to the fact that people have different beliefs, they have different um, traditions. And I think that's such a nice thing, you know, and it opens up um, discussions about struggles as well. So there are loads of amazing books out there. Um, I apologize if I get the, the book title wrong, but um, something like The Boy at the Back of the Class, that's become such a, a popular book because it 
opens up a whole you know discussion about refugees coming into the classroom for example um and then there's also kind of cognitive benefits that that are available as well so um there was some research that was done and um it said that even just the acquisition of learning new grammatical rules and language structure results in not only new knowledge but development of problem solving skills as well which you know, like um, we were saying before, we wouldn't necessarily attribute languages with problem solving or maths, but actually those skills that we learn from learning languages can help us in other subjects as well. And I think that's something so wonderful um, because it's not just, oh, I'm enhancing my problem solving skills. I'm now making new friends. I now have more doors open to me. I now know about new cultures. And it's just a really wonderful way of having a deeper understanding and overview of the world, as well as being able to kind of, you know, have cognitive benefits and social, emotional benefits. I just... I just think it's a shame that the obstacles that are out there are kind of preventing that from really taking place and, and sometimes kind of delaying people from reaping in all those benefits. And I know we were talking earlier about um, you saying that you liked learning Italian. Um, well, I, when I speak to people and they say, oh, wow, you can learn French. I really wish that I continued French or whatever languages at school. I hear so many people saying that. Um, and then so many people saying, oh, I tried Duolingo, but I kind of gave up afterwards and I really regret it. Um, and I think, you know, we, we don't want people to regret that. We want to try and encourage it. And it's nice to hear that the government is now realizing that and trying to, to give it more importance. But um, yeah, that's why I think schools should try and, and teach languages and realize the, the importance of it. because There's so many benefits. Um, hopefully I haven't taken yeah. up too many. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Now I want to throw over to, to Helen and ask you from a sort of society perspective, from a school's perspective, as opposed to the individual learner, what's, what's the importance of us uh, having languages in the curriculum? Well, you mentioned right at the beginning about the idea of leading to being able to work and study as well. That's another thing is that there are more opportunities than perhaps to study in other countries. Um, I think, you know, all of the ideas that you gave there, Annalise, were, were brilliant. That I, I do think it does develop the person in the end, what is education for? At the moment, there's a big, big thrust on knowledge and the importance of knowledge. But I really do feel that it's more than that. And I'm old school, I'm afraid, still remembering with the national curriculum, which, by the way, we've still got. That is what the national curriculum is, is knowledge, skills and understanding. So in addition to the you know, the social side that you were talking talking about there, Annalise, you know, we have got the, if you like, the functional side of this. In the end, you can go into the workplace. Um, you know, there's this idea, isn't there, that although everybody speaks, people think everybody speaks English, for a start, that isn't the case. And also, you do sell to customers in their own language. That's the way that you can do it. So there is that side. But I do think it's more than just, just the functional things. Um, when you look at the national curriculum, the very first thing it says on the national curriculum is learning a foreign language is a liberation from insularity and provides an opportunity to op an opening to other cultures. A high quality language education should foster pupils' curiosity and deepen their understanding of the world. So really that does reflect what you've been saying, Elise, about, you know, just changing people as, a, as people. And my goodness, we really need that at the moment, don't we? Um, and then, of course, there's the, there's the, the, the skill side of actually being able to talk to people. 
I think we need to encourage people to go abroad to, um, you know, like you've done, talk to people who are from other countries who come to this country. And for that, the actual skills of being able to listen, to speak, to read, to write are really worthwhile in your own world. So the current GCSE has got that as a, you know, that, that's a name is that you so that 16 year olds will be able to operate in any situation that they might come across. And it is lovely when you do get, I know with COVID, there were problems getting abroad um, and there are a few, you know, there are some more barriers with Brexit, but we there are people who are now getting back into going for day trips or for short trips and just seeing students just love being in the country, being able to use skills and recognize things that they do in the classroom actually have a meaning there are real people out there who speak that language um you know loads of reasons for us to teach languages. yeah i'm gonna throw in a quote here a nelson mandela quote he, he said um if you talk to a man in a language he understands that goes to his head if you talk to him in his own language that goes to his heart and i do love that as a quote for even if you're just going to try even if you're just going to say hello and i remember that when having um children um from other countries or with other languages coming into my class I, I would always I was one of those teachers who would want to learn a little bit because it built a connection and I felt like I was trying and I know that when I uh, speak to people as well if I, if I feel that they are engaging or want to try a little bit I, I you know I am more likely as, as a customer I think yeah. to 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 engage then if I know they value it now I wanted to throw back to sort of the primary sector and, and Annalise here, you, you, you talked about culture, you talked about learning about the culture. So when you're teaching in the, you know, in that, at that young age, are we also introducing, you know, say in French, uh, you know, the, the, maybe the patisserie, the, the, the croissant, you know, the whole aspect of that French society and, and, and world then, or, or whether it be Spanish or, or German, um, beyond just the rote learning of uh, the, the the sort of um, conversion of words. Yes, absolutely. So I think a bit like with every subject, we need to hook them in. We need to make them excited for the subject. And um, Helen was talking about the skills and, and all these things that we can acquire from learning a language. But I think sometimes that doesn't necessarily appeal to, you know, a primary school age child or even a teenager to say, oh, but you could learn this and this. They want to, to feel a reason to learn that language. So um, when I was teaching French, I would do, um, uh, I think when it came to kind of December, I would talk about Christmas traditions, but obviously, um, you know, now France is no longer a Christian country. So I was explaining that and talking about how, you know, there were lots of different religions in, in France. Um, and I would kind of put French music on or things that I listened to as a little girl. Um, in the older years, I actually brought a French book in um, and we... I, I can still remember how excited they were. Um, we were looking at words that we recognised, even from English. Um, well, we know it's the other way around, but, you know, they know the English word. And they were like, oh, that sounds like this English word. Um, and then as a treat, you know, kind of that end of the year kind of thing, um, I put a French word on. And to make sure that they were listening, I gave them each a whiteboard or a scrap piece of paper. And I put the subtitles on and I said, every single word that you recognize that we have not learnt, write it down. And by the end of it, knowing lessons were only half an hour, they had more than 50 words. And they were like this, I didn't realize, you know, how much French and English were similar. And, you know, that kind of interaction, that kind of moment when they're like, wow, this could actually be attainable for me. 
I could actually learn this, this is doable, then that's where you hope that they go into it in, in secondary and introducing culture, introducing traditions, um, showing the media that comes from France. And it's not kind of a BBC bite-sized clip of a English presenter going to France and talking about, you know, patisseries. Um, you know, that's how you kind of hook them in. Um, and I think as a primary school teacher, kind of, you know, you get good at that because you know that their attention spans are short and you want to make every moment count and to get them excited and to create engagement from it. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a, a tactic that I would use in my lessons to to make sure they were listening, but also enjoying what I was teaching them. <laughs> yeah, uh, certainly. I was just trying to think back. And the, the, one of the things that I remember learning about in French, and I don't know why this stuck with me, but there was some kind of festival to do with almonds and it was to do with a king. And I remember like, that Rue, Roy, like Rex in, would be in, in Latin. But I said like something stuck with me about that, about learning about all these different festivals and, and the way that they were celebrated. And, and yeah, you're right. It, you know, it helps it stick. Now, I, I want to throw over to Helen and, and, you know, we'll talk more about what kind of we think good language learning looks like. But at a secondary level, are we still learning about the culture and, and that kind of cultural setting of it, or, 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 or in, are we into sort of the nitty gritty of verb tenses and things like that? Well, of course, one shouldn't really preclude the other. And particularly since with the current GCSE, um, there will be references to culture. Um, and I, I do just have to say about the, you were talking about the galette des rois. Ah. And, you know, you talk about and it can literally stick when you're eating it. But that is something which when I go to France with children on French exchanges, we always go in January when it's the time of the Galette des Rois and they get fed up with it in the end because they're fed it so much. <laughs> but you're right. That's the thing that people remember. My sixth form will remember when they went to France and when they cut that cake. And if you're the person who has the little fev, the little bean, you're the one who has to wear the crown. So, so I am still doing that in secondary as well. Um, through taking them to France um, and certainly that's something which uh, the, the textbooks, all the textbooks which one, one uses, um, they'll always have reference to cultural things. So for example with the current GCSE textbook there's quite a lot about culture so that when you're doing daily routine for example you don't necessarily do the daily routine of someone in your country but of somebody in somebody else's country. Um, when you're doing descriptions you might do descriptions of historical famous people in France rather than people in your own country. So that's certainly something which people still do but and now here comes the but we have got to get people through this exam, through the GCSE. These accountability measures, you'll have, I'm sure through talking to other people on other subjects, there's something which are, you know, they're just over your head all the time. The fact that you've got to get people through these exams, get them the best exam result that they can. And there is a danger, I confess, the danger, particularly when you're coming up to the exam, that at that point you think, what is it that they need in order to really get those top grades? And at the moment, um, being able to translate accurately, being able to use verbs accurately, that is something which is a high priority. So sadly, I will confess that I think sometimes we bring that down perhaps a little bit too far down the school and start concentrating on it and obsessing about it too early sometimes. 
Um, so, you know, there, there is this side that we've got. It would be lovely if we didn't have the GCSE, things could be totally different. But as it is, when we know that we have got this element where accuracy is important, um, then we, really we do have to do that as well. Um, now, I want to throw back, and I did say there were two questions. So we, we've talked a little bit, and it does blur the lines a little bit of why learning language is important, or certainly why schools should be interested in it. But when it comes to a child's point of view, then, I, I, I wonder, and we'll start lower down the school, because I imagine this changes, potentially. As I say, you know, the reason I chose German in the end is because I was told it would help my job prospects. I'm not sure that would have applied to me as a, you know, primary age child that I would have done it. But when we're in the primary um sector um and Elise, what is it that children are sort of saying back to you when they are enjoying language learning what what is it that they are um uh, sort of what what's motivating them i think in primary it it's it might sometimes be a difficult question to answer particularly lower down because we dictate so much what they're going to learn you know we have the timetable oh french is next that's just what we're going to do um but I, I think, again, it's it's with that hooks, it's really engaging them. Or it's like, oh, miss, can we watch that, that song again? Or, you know, can we watch that video again? Can we sing that song again? Okay, but first, let's recap those phrases. So I don't think there's necessarily a long-term goal when they're younger, um, apart from maybe in year five, six, where they think, oh, I might want to do this for GCSE if they're thinking that far ahead. Um, but generally, generic speaking, I think if we're to say a point that hasn't already been said is the purely selfish one of just being able to see more and do more around the world. I think right now it's very, very, I don't want to say the word, but trendy to kind of go and travel, just take a year and travel. Um, and this used to be kind of a sandwich year or a gap year, but people are now doing it, you know, anytime in their 20s or 30s. And I think it's one thing when you go to different places and you see all the touristy things and you see all the things that are catered to tourists and obviously all those people mostly speak English. But it's a whole different ballgame when you go to a new place, but you speak with the locals like Helen was saying, you can speak to people and, you know, you see their shocked faces that, wow, this person, you know, is talking to me in my language or you find those hidden gems that aren't in every single tourist map and you can really see the world more thoroughly and in a greater depth and I think that would appeal to a lot of people you know whether it's um, maybe a sixes or teenagers or, or uni students um, just to try and get them to pick that up because I think especially now when we kind of we sometimes feel a bit isolated from the world you know we're no longer part of this we're no longer part of that um, we're removed from this deal and, and whatnot I'm not going to politics but it's easy to kind of feel like we're in our own bubble, but you know, loads of people want to get out there and explore things. And I think if you learn a different language, even if it's just to, to survive those two weeks of traveling, you know, it opens up that, that world that otherwise would not be accessible. Um, and, and Helen, what do you know, I imagine it, that changes as they go through and, and they start thinking about maybe careers in secondary school or options and, and those start, sort of things. But what do secondary school students start saying about why they're choosing a language or, or, or why they want to continue with language learning? What's motivating them? Well, to be honest, I agree with you. I think almost sometimes too much is made of this idea of, oh, they're already thinking about what work they want to do. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's it's a bit dangerous to go down that path. 
Um, mm. Sometimes people will argue, oh, we need a totally different syllabus so that they're ready for the world of work. You know, And I think, where is the interest in teaching someone how to say, will you pass me that brick? Is that going to really make it more interesting than, you know, I'd like a baguette? So actually, all the things that Annalise said that primary school children like, I think, secondary school children like and adults like we all like the idea about traveling about speaking yeah. to people, about getting to know people so I really feel that there's no difference there when I go into primary schools and when primary schools come into us we're doing the same sorts of things and um, we are singing as well and certainly trips are, are things which people love and when we have a French exchange, I deliberately take the French exchange children down to the primary school. It's at Christmas time, we sing Christmas songs together, and it's absolutely delightful to see really from both sides, from the secondary age and the primary, how they enjoy doing that. So I, I think it's a no-brainer. Ch children do enjoy travel. They do enjoy um, communicating. Um, you know, and it's part of, I don't know, it's part of growing up as well that I think you, you, know, you, you get interested in these things. Um, so I, I feel that it, it's the same really as with primary, as long as they are, they, what do they want in their lessons? They want to be having fun. They want to be enjoying the lesson. They want to feel successful. They want to like, normally, you know, it helps if they like the teacher and can see that the teacher likes their subject. Um, perhaps one of the things which happens, particularly in the secondary, is I'll confess, it also has its challenges in learning language. There is that challenge, but that's something that students can enjoy the challenge. Yeah, certainly. Now, I want to begin with both of you. We are going to have to pop to the news, but you're happy to stick around just for, um, you know, five to eight minutes because I, I really want to get your opinions uh, when we come back just on what you feel good language learning might look like. Is that okay, Annalise? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. And Helen, you're happy to stick around? Definitely, yes. Fantastic. Right, well, we'll see all of you on the other side um, of the news. Um, don't forget, if you're listening live, you can text in, you can tweet us at TT Radio 2022. We'll read your tweets out live on it. We are live so that you can join the discussion. Uh, so we'll see you just on the other side of the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With the World Cup due to begin, TES magazine reveals why some schools won't be screening games during school time. The competition, held in Qatar, 
is the subject of much concern from some school leaders worried about the ethics of showing games held in a country with a poor record when it comes to human rights. England play one game against Iran during school hours, but whilst many school leaders have chosen to show significant games in the past, some are choosing not to do so this time. FIFA's choice to host the tournament in Qatar has been controversial from the outset because of the country's laws on homosexuality and its treatment of migrant workers. Some heads have said that showing the game would be at odds with lessons on diversity and equality. Not all leaders share the same view, and some schools will show the game, but will have what is described as age-appropriate discussions about the ethics of the tournament alongside. Decisions of this nature are always left to individual school leaders, and as debate about the tournament continues, the only real certainty is that this World Cup will be remembered for its controversial hosts if nothing else. The last week has seen many schools participate in activities to mark Anti-Bullying Week. To further acknowledge the impact bullying can have on young people and their families, the Government's Education Hub has published an article laying out what they're doing to help combat bullying in education. This support has largely been in the form of government grants to fund projects and organisations who do important anti-bullying work. This has included further funding for the Diana Award, a recognised anti-bullying programme, the Anti-Bullying Alliance, a new programme to prevent and tackle bullying through quality RSHE education, the Anne Frank Trust to continue the different but the same project, diversity role models, developing intervention materials for schools and equality to support multi-academy trusts or local authorities to create change. Full details of all the projects and the funding can be found on the .gov UK website as well as in the Preventing and Tackling Bullying Guidance. The Scottish Government will launch an online national discussion on Scottish education the week beginning the 21st of November. Children, young people, parents, carers and teachers are being encouraged to take part by registering for events. Those who register will be able to talk directly to the independent facilitators, Professor Alma Harris and Professor Carol Campbell. The discussion was first launched in September but in order to ensure as full a discussion as possible, the online events have also been launched. So far, the discussion has received 3,500 responses and feedback will be open until the 5th of December. The Schools and Academy Show 2022 saw the Chair of Ofqual, Ian Buckham, discuss plans for exams and grading for 2023, as well as considering the future of exams, assessment and the use of technology. In his speech, he made it clear that exams and other formal assessments that are like exams give students the fairest chance to show what they know and what they can do. He cited feedback from students, parents and teachers, which he said was overwhelmingly positive, particularly about the return to normal exams in 2022 after the difficulties of the pandemic. Whilst exams in 2023 will see a return to pre-pandemic grading, safeguards will be put in place to ensure no pupil is disadvantaged. This will be the same as those put in place for the 2017 series when pupils sat the reformed GCSE and A-level qualifications for the first time. He went on to speak about the impact of digital tech and described it as when, not if, there would be a greater use of it in high stakes exams. He did, however, acknowledge that a move to greater digital assessment can only come about through joint working across a range of partners and stakeholders, so as not to experiment with young people's futures. 
A full transcript of the speech can be found on the DfE website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at smartwatches. For those of you that don't know what a smartwatch is, it's basically a watch that has the ability to connect to your phone, enhancing the experience of the owner's smartphone by delivering notifications and controls via an interface, which shows more discreetly and allows the user to decide whether they need to get their phone out or not. This is a real bonus for teachers, as a lot of schools have no phones policies, making it difficult to be contacted during the day. Some smartwatches also can stand alone without the need for a short-range phone connection as they've got built-in cellular or Wi-Fi capability, extending the range of connection, allowing the phone to be left at home. Although this can be useful, you need to bear in mind that there are additional costs for this and answering calls makes you look like you're on an episode of Star Trek talking to your wrist unless you have headphones and replying to texts can be tricky using the watch interface. That being said, one of the most powerful features of smartwatches is the ability to use contactless payment with them real time saver and also peace of mind. A downside of contactless payment using smart devices is some payment machines, in particular parking meters, only accept cards. This needs to be kept in mind when traveling around. So what is the best? Well, that depends on the phone you currently have. It isn't really about the best, it's about compatibility. If you want an Apple Watch, you need to have an Apple phone. Android allows more options and also can be considerably cheaper. You need to ask yourself a few questions to decide what's best for you. Here are the questions I'd ask when considering a smartwatch. What do I want it for? If it's to see notifications from a phone, could an activity tracker be what I'm after? Compatible with all mobile phone platforms, there is a reduced control interface, but for around £50, alongside tracking your activity, you can see notifications without the need to get your phone out. What is the battery life like? Will it last until you get home to charge it? What's the display like? Will you be able to see it at a glance? What if you get messaged while points are at a pupil's work? Will they see it? Can notifications be adjusted so you are not accidentally sharing? Is it noisy? Can you silence it? Can you switch it to vibrate? And finally, some phone contracts allow you to add on extra devices. Will it be cheaper to do it that way or to buy it outright? As always, I'd love to hear your favourite teaching tech. Do you wear a smartwatch? Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Swansea, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio and the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, and tonight we are talking modern foreign languages. Uh, if you have just joined us, um, we have spoken about where what the state of play for teaching of modern foreign languages currently is at primary and secondary in the UK. We've also talked about the reasons uh, why we should want to teach languages and also why students should want to learn languages as well. And that takes us towards the end of the show where we're going to talk about what that good uh, language teaching should possibly look like. Now I'm just going to check in that both of our guests are still with us. So Annalise, are you still here? Can you still hear yes, me? Yes, I can still hear you. I'm still here. Fabulous. And Helen, still with yes, us? Yes, I am. 
Superb. Now, um, you know, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about what language teaching or good language teaching could look like. And uh, Helen was sort of saying that actually, you know, there's a lot more similarity between primary and secondary than maybe I had assumed, um, you know, when, when going into this uh, sort of conversation. But if we start with the primary sort of sector again, and uh, Annalise, if you were advising a new young teacher sort of coming in and they said, well, what are the kind of key things I need to get happening in my language lessons? What are the kind of key um, factors that are going to really make it work for me? What sort of things would you be telling them to, to really focus on? So the first thing, a bit like with every lesson, is to have an aim, something that you're working towards, whether it be learn five new words or um, you know, some kind of learning intention, because it's very easy to get so wrapped up in engaging them that sometimes there's no aim to it or you're not going anywhere or you're not starting a progression of something. So, you know, you could easily put a really fun song on. They all get involved. But actually, what have you learned that lesson? Um, so always be clear on what you want them to, to learn in that lesson. But also don't forget that you might require several lessons teaching the same thing so you might have to find different ways to, to twist it to make it engaging but especially with you know if you are teaching in key stage one you are going to have to repeat those things for a long time um you know in those half an hour slots that i had with a reception i was you know i think for about four weeks teaching them um one to five and then i th and then i think we went up to ten um but you know it it really stuck with them and we would do different games we would do different songs but every single time the intention was clear um, and I think that allows them to still feel a sense of structure and organisation, even if they don't physically understand the language. Um, another thing I would say, and obviously this is where possible and again, you know, it comes into a teacher confidence, but if you are, um, you know, you are able to speak the language that you're teaching, I would try wherever possible to speak that language. So say an instruction in French or um, what I did is I taught them my first lesson, my first lesson, sorry, was teaching them instructions in French. So then afterwards, I would always say that instruction in French. Um, I might use body language. You know, if I'm saying pick up your pen, I will physically pick up a pen and wave it about so that even if they forgot what that phrase meant, they could link it and associate it with the action that I was doing so that it was still accessible to everyone, um, no matter what the ability. And it would still allow them to understand something um, in that language, even if they physically couldn't reply or repeat that phrase back to me. So I think where possible, just immerse them in that language learning as well. And um, you mentioned before trying to, to learn little words or phrases of the language of a, a student. Well, put it into your register say good morning in that language, you know, during the register, or if they're coming back in, you know, you could um, ask them how lunch was in French, just even if it's a daily phrase that you could still kind of use repeatedly, um, wherever you can try and have those cross curricular links. Um, and then my last tip would just be to use different medias to engage them. Um, videos, songs, um, whether it's even a silly little rhyme for them to kind of get that phrase stuck in their head, or um, I guess, I'm not sure if this would work in secondary, but um, do different voices. Say it once in your normal voice, do it a second time in a higher pitch voice. Say it once really loudly and once really quietly. Um, say it once in a squeaky voice, say it once in a very low voice. Um, just try and, you know, 
get them repeating it, but without that kind of monotonous um, feel to it, I guess. Um, so yes, immerse it wherever possible, repeat, 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 have a name and engage them in whatever way possible. Now, I love that there was something you said there about that using it. It probably is worth, you know, for anyone listening outside, as I say, Wales, we are um, in, a, in a movement towards true bilingualism or, or certainly the promotion of the Welsh language. Um, and uh, we have a, a incidental Welsh is, is part of our daily lives. And so my, my young boys, uh, when they go to school, when they do the register, um, they will say ama, which is here, or dimama, which is not here if someone is not here. And when they do their lunch and their register, they will say uh, brekdanai or, 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 or kinio for, for school dinner. And even as a Welsh teacher, I, 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 I well, as an English teacher teaching through the medium of English but in a Welsh school I would be um, giving a lot of classroom commands so I would be saying uh, stand up sit down um, or even if a child needed to go to the toilet my son who's who's five uh, when he he needs to go to the toilet and he will understand he'll say uh, which is can I go to the toilet please or can I get water um, and, and and so they use them throughout uh, on top of having their their actual taught um, Welsh language lessons as well and I, I you know I see that translated when I moved to England then I know we were learning languages and very you know I was sort of going well why aren't we why aren't we using it more you know rather than having Absolutely. it siloed in a half hour session yeah. why why isn't it sort of throughout the week and regularly dipping in um now I'm going to throw over to, to, to Helen um as well and I do love this idea of learning um uh, songs through language. I could probably still sing some Beatles songs in German because, for some reason, we found uh, as a secondary school student learning German, I found out that the Beatles had recorded a load of songs in German, um, and and yeah, I picked them up, and it was very much easier learning it through song. So, uh, Helen, what do you see as being sort of those those key elements of language learning at secondary? Right, I feel as if I'm being a bit lazy because in answer to your question, I'm always saying, well, exactly what Annalise said. That is really all of those, particularly for key stage three. I mean, you were talking about these little tricks of using voices and that sort of thing. I mean, in year seven, eight, they are still up for doing that sort of thing. And I don't know if I'm right, but I feel having gone into primaries and no young children as opposed to older ones, the difference tends to be sometimes to what extent they want to please the teacher. I don't know if I'm being too simplistic, but it seems to me that younger children are often quite at the imitative stage. They do that not only in language, but in others as well, you know, and they, and they like to please you. Sometimes in secondary, to be honest, things change a bit. Sometimes I have to say to primary school teachers, honestly it's not my fault it's just they well they get hormones there are things which happen to them you know that they they don't necessarily want to do all the same things that they used to but some of them do and I think the key the key for secondary is really knowing your class and knowing what is going to really appeal to them so making it so that it's still as fun as you can although being aware that for some people they might be too cool to do some of these fun things so you, you just have to adapt and at the same time obviously I've got to say this, there has got, you've got to show that there is rigour. So the sorts of things that you were saying, Annalise, about having an aim, um, really planning for re repeating things. Um, and yes, I definitely agree, using target language instructions can help as well. So the additional thing for secondary, I suppose, is that we do have these exams to um, cope with. So when it gets to later on, when you're looking for a good language lesson, obviously you're looking for people who are also giving them the skills in order to do the exam all the things you mentioned there are things that we would do and I'm so with you on music I mean 
I find that children will know language that they've learnt in the primary, if they've learnt some of these songs, like, you know, the birthday song, Quelle est la date de ton anniversaire? Quelle est la... They know it, and then all the months, because their primary school teachers have done it, and then I can repeat it. I think, I, mean, I did music in French at university, I'm a real fan of using music. So if a class likes music, I love that as well, and I use it. Um, I have a memory of having a particularly challenging um, bottom set key stage four class because in our school everyone has to do languages and I just discovered that they really liked Stromae whom I don't know if you know him I'm a great fan of this man who yeah definitely burnout. yeah I mean he's from burnout you said he wasn't going to do any more concerts well he is and I'm going to Toulouse in April to his concert and then when he released um, details that he's actually coming to England as well I'm going to that in May well I just love his music um, and it's got real, there's a meaning in the words. It's something I found appealed to everybody. Well, with this particular class where, I'll be honest, it was a bit of a struggle to get through some of the things I had to do for the GCSE. But the promise was, if you do what I ask you to do during the lesson, you'll get a Stromae song at the end. And I always did it the same way. You, you mentioned this, Annalise, as a technique. They would see the words, but I, I um, missed off the final word in every sentence. Um, and I gave them a list of those words alphabetically and they had to listen to the song and work out which word went in that gap, even if they didn't understand the word. It was wonderful to see that they, they could and some of the most challenging, you know, ones who really struggled a bit, they found that they could do that and you could praise them, um, you know, in the way that you have to praise older students. You can't do it too overtly and too enthusiastically. It can get them embarrassed. And then having listened to it and done, if you like, a a sound spelling um, recognition exercise, they were then allowed to watch the video. And if they wanted to get up and dance with it, they could. So that kept me going for quite a while. Fortunately, you know, I had, he had two albums worth of very good stuff. So I was able to use that um, successfully, but definitely I think good, when you're going back to your question about good language teaching in secondary, yes, you have to be showing that you're following the syllabus, you're doing what you're being told you've got to do for the exam, but absolutely don't forget to vary the methods you're using and bring in authentic stuff, bring in culture. I, I feel like I'm babbling on here. No, 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 it's, it's fine. It's really, I find, you know, I, I, I do find, and as I say, and, and this is entirely on me, you know, this is entirely on me that, you know, I, I think that sometimes we put a, um, a, a false divide between, you know, a year six child and a year seven child and think that they need to be taught entirely differently or that they there is something magical that happens over that summer that changes them into a an adult learner or something but you know in my head I, I don't know now I did want to ask you both uh, this one more question and, and sort of one directed towards Annalisa or one more directed towards Helen just to, just an area especially so this first one and, and you might want to comment across as well but um Annalise we have mentioned, or certainly um, it, it is cropped up within this conversation, that there are lots of learning apps available. I have one on my phone myself for learning languages and such like. And as a language learner yourself, or someone who certainly introduces children maybe to their first, second language, for want of a better word, or their more modern foreign languages, it might be the, their, their first introduction. What would be your response if I said, well, you know, as, as, as your deputy head or head teacher came in and said, well, actually, do you know what? We, we're just going to um, stick them on, on Duolingo 
for half an hour every week. Other apps are available, by the way. I'm not being derogatory about that one. Um, and and they'll learn some uh, they'll learn some French words, and 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 that's good enough. How would you feel about that? Or as a language learner yourself, do you see a benefit of those things, or is classroom practice better? Um, <laughs> um, I would feel very upset if they said that. Um, the one thing I would say to them, though, is I approve of introducing them to a language app because there's no better way than encouraging children to do something by modeling it yourself. So I might show them, well, look, this is my progress on Duolingo and this is how it works. This is, you know, this is what a lesson looks like. These are some of the phrases you could learn. And this is something that you guys can download on your iPad or, you know, parents phone at home and you could do this as well that's probably the extent I would go to when delivering an education via an app um, I would then go purely to the teacher I think you know personally right now we're teaching from a scheme um, I'm not super keen on it I find it very restrictive I have to go on to the next slide and press the audio button and it's the computer turn, my turn, then your turn to repeat. And I find it very rigid. I don't find it very flexible. And I personally would love to take that kind of workload onto my shoulders in order to, to feel like I'm doing a good job. Um, but then I realize, you know, the reason I'm on here speaking today is because I have an opinion that might differ from a lot of teachers. Um, and I have an academic background and a language background that differs from a lot of teachers. Um, but I, I would be very disappointed if a school just goes purely towards an app um, because I don't think that that's what we're trained to do. And I think as teachers, hopefully we all have a love of learning and a love of delivering effective lessons and, and allowing children to, to grow and to learn more things. And I think if we just restrict them to an app that they could do at home, then that's almost like home educating you know, themselves at home, but they're in four walls in a, in a school. Um, and I'm being very honest there. No, I probably no, would say something similar to them as well. Um, no, it's very fine. Well, you know, one of the, <laughs> one, of the one of the biggest I, issues I'm I, I I find with it personally is that you know I I see languages as being a, a social function. You know, yeah, and, 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 and well, to remove definitely. conversation or to remove a social aspect from. A, you know, like from from a language seems to make it devoid in some way I don't know now um Helen before I, I ask you the question more directed to you what's your opinion on language-based apps should I you know I'll try and be general and and not get myself sued oh well I, I really like them um in the same way as Annalise I think you know as a supplement they're mm. great um, and certainly we depended a lot on things which were could be accessed independently during COVID, during pandemic. And there were some students who really took to that very well. But there were quite a lot of students who actually didn't have um, really the motivation to carry on on their own. And I think that's where actually let's keep ourselves in a job <laughs> and really recognise the power that we do have as teachers because we can encourage um, students to carry on we can give them praise I know it's lovely to have a little owl telling you that you're doing well but it's also very nice having a real person saying well done and I have to you know I, I love apps I love technology but it does have its limits that when it comes to interaction which is the thing that I think that's the thing that often motivates people a lot is that you can talk to people and you can get a response that is something you can do in the classroom which really it's very difficult to do on an app you can um, you know there are some very good 
um, technologies out there which can enable a teacher to be able to do things at a distance to get children to talk to each other. Um, you know, there's a product that Sanico does, Sanico Connect, um, and, and also there are freely available ones as well. Um, but an app on its own, it's quite difficult to, to do that. Um, and, and so I said there was a, a question coming your way, Helen, and this is, you know, from, from the virtual world right into the real world. And, you know, you talked a little bit about school trips and, and, and uh, we didn't get much chance to, to, to hear about the benefits or possibly, you know, it might be something that would be easily cut from a school you know they might you know that whether that's finding volunteers to go or or finding the time or the or the finances even for the pupils but what are the benefits of actually getting out into a country immersed in that language oh i mean it makes it memorable we're always talking aren't we about really good experiences make things stick um, like your galette that you, 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 you and you nearly got there. You remembered the the link between Rex and Roy, so you you know, and then that you know, just that little bit makes made you remind it, reminded you of it. So um, those benefits are enormous. Um, definitely, I say to students when we go over there, look, you're not necessarily going to understand everything they talk about at, at the home, but I can guarantee that when you come back, there'll be words, and you'll think, ah, oh, that's what it meant. Oh yes. And it really does make a difference when they come back. You you find that their, well, their tolerance of listening to real French and being able to work out what it is 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 better because they've got used to doing that. Um, so the benefits are enormous for and just as individuals because sometimes that's the first time they might have gone away without their parents, without adults, you know, but they, they're going with the teachers and with their friends. So it does make people grow as people. And that's the comment that I'll get back from parents as well. When, you know, a student who perhaps um, has only just been around their own, you know, their own town on their own or gone up to London or somewhere, but always with other people, suddenly to take them to Paris on an exchange and they find themselves just with a, you know, their 14 year old friend being able to walk to the Champs-Élysées just on their own. I mean, it's um, it's quite something. So. Yeah, you know, I do, I do think, and I guess that you know isn't something maybe necessarily that happens so much in primary, and you know that's just the size of children, I guess. Although I think I have heard of some primary schools maybe nipping across the channel um, quickly, um, but um, yeah, getting immersed in it must be so powerful, particularly. And again, you know, where we started some of this conversation, if you are in a school where maybe some of the other staff around aren't as confident in using that language all of the time now we we have you know filled an hour and a half almost completely just chatting away here and I I wanted to give just some time just in case because if people had had, had heard uh, you know uh, either of you speaking to Annalise I've wrote you uh, first of all and, and and they wanted to reach out to you or ask you some more questions is there a way that people can get in contact with you, Are you yes or did you say Annalise Sorry, Annalise, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yes, no, definitely. So I am on YouTube as Petite Primary, literally Petite because French and small. So there is the language link for us today. Um, but also at the Petite Primary on Instagram as well. And my messages are always open for whatever questions people have. Um, and also about languages, because on my channels, I don't necessarily talk about that as much as I probably should because I am quite passionate about it. But yes, that's how they can reach out to me. 
Fantastic. And Helen, if people wanted to sort of reach out to you uh, with, with either questions or, or, or just comments, how would they be able to get hold of you? Um, well, I'm on Twitter. And so that's just at Helen Myers. That's my name. I'm also very active on Facebook. And there are two groups that I would recommend. One is called Secondary MFL Resources. And the other one for primaries is languages in primary schools. They call themselves, the, we call ourselves the LIPS group and have special t-shirts with LIPS on them. So that's another way. Um, but the main way that I would really encourage if anybody isn't a member of the Association for Language Learning, please join that. Um, I mean, this evening, I know that your aim was to be a nice, positive, gentle radio program. Um, I don't want to change that too much, but just to say there are some things happening at the moment in secondary which are really really worrying people so I've been putting a very rosy picture on how things are um, but I think you know the association we are we are aware of what's going on and what's coming our way we've got a new GCSE which has been brought in um, not something which people necessarily wanted um, we've also got an Ofsted curriculum review which is telling us how we should be teaching and it's not necessarily that everybody wants it that way so I know we're being nice and positive in this radio program but if you're listening and that is something that is of concern to you then really via ALL via these groups and if you get in touch with me personally I'll be able to give you links to things where we're going to support you and my main message would be be, don't stop doing the wonderful things you're doing. Don't make it that you feel you have to change everything because of a change in exam or a change in Ofsted's criteria. We can really persuade people that we do know how to teach and we do know how to make children love languages. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm going to tie up the show. And I, I love this. This, uh, You know, I think I, I might be paraphrasing Helen here uh, slightly, but you said something about um, languages being a, a liberation from isolation. And, and I really love that kind of idea about how, how freeing, how opening up the world it can be and even opening up our, our thoughts and ideas. I really I really did like that. It was something like that, Helen. I'm not misquoting you, am I? That's right. Well, that's from the national curriculum, liberating you from insularity. So, Insulation, yeah. Oh. That's particularly at the moment the way, well, again, not wishing to be political, but, you know, uh, yes, we, we really do want to make sure that we get beyond these borders. Yeah, certainly. And and I, I, I think even, yeah, as I say, my... my um, interest in it is very much the links between it and I you know I, I, I hopefully will f become fluent in Welsh so that I can g converse well with my, my sons and their heritage as, as as we grow up but I you know I'm on a journey and I, and I accept that now um, any final messages before we go Annalise um, so my final message I think would be you know no matter what obstacles are kind of in people's way whether it's their confidence or things like that. There are so many benefits to, to learning a language, um, even from as young as children in EYFS or Key Stage 1. So if possible and where you have a say, try and push it, um, try and do some, some research into the benefits, try and do whatever you can, whether it's a learning app, to feel confident because children kind of deserve these opportunities to learn languages. And it's, it's once you get into it, it's really not as daunting as people think. So like Helen said, keep up the good work, try and, you know, really get into it, create engaging content, love it yourself, because I think it's a two way street, you have to love it, and show that enthusiasm to learn so that the children can do the same and have that same experience. Fantastic. And Helen, any last words from you? 
Yes, I mean, we do have a problem with languages. We know that with GCSE, they are severely graded. So students are likely to get a lower grade. And that is because of comparable outcomes. It's not to do with you. It's not to do with your teaching. And that's something which we really need to hold on to. Um, because schools have to, you know, they're, they're told, for example, they have to report on their Progress 8 scores. Languages is never going to be the subject which school leaders will think, oh, I want everybody to do it, because they will get, on average, a lower grade. And also with the EBAC, um, we know that the EBAC includes you know, um, languages, but it also includes history and geography. They tend to get more people doing history and geography. And don't think it's because you're not good at teaching languages. Again, it can be to do with the fact that the grading favours history and geography over languages. So don't be depressed by those things. Don't make it that people say to you, oh, it's because of your teaching. Um, and yeah, join AWL so that we can yeah. carry this conversation on. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank Thank you. Now, I will say, you know, I should explain, I, you know, as, as you've heard me dropping in my incidental Welsh as we go through, I would say goodnight, which is Nostar in Welsh. Obviously, um, you, you can pick pick your language of choice as you go. But I would say to all the listeners and my guests, Nostar. And I was going to say Nostar. I did my homework. I was going to impress you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Nostar, Nostar, I was going to say. Eh bien, but we. Bon, ah. bon, bon soir, bonne soirée. So have a good evening. Bonne bon soirée. soirée. Lovely. Well, Diane, uh, with the um, uh, Annalise, and uh, as I say, Nostar, good night. And then I guess I'll try and go for, for Dutch, which is uh, Goedenacht. Goedenacht. Love it. Right. Okay. Well, and good night to all our listeners. We've been at Teachers Talk Radio. We'll catch you next time. Tune in. Talk it out. Thank you very much for having us. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.